Hey guys, welcome back to another Topics with Tim podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you are having a magnificent day. I hope I can make your day just a little bit better. And for those of you NFL sports fans, you are in for a treat. I am doing the first ever edition of Tim Right or Wrong. Yes, I will be looking back at the 2020 NFL season, well, 2020 to 21, and I will be admitting to you where I was dead wrong. The predictions I had going into the year, during the year, that did not pan out at all, and I was terribly wrong. But I'll also be pointing out what I what I was right on. What did I nail? What was I, bam, right on about? Now, this segment is inspired from probably my most favorite sports broadcaster, which is Colin Cowherd. If you're a sports fan at all, I'd highly recommend his show. It's The Herd. You can get it. You can find it on the podcast app as well. He does sports, mainly NFL, NBA, covers other sports as well, has a lot of interviews with uh, different athletes, coaches. He just did a great interview with Terry Bradshaw on his most recent podcast. Loved it. But anyway, he does a segment where he does the exact same thing, where he admits actually weekly all his takes that he was right on and all his takes that he was wrong on. One of the reasons why I love this is because it's so easy as a sports personality, a broadcaster, reporter, to pretend or hide your mistakes, hide your flaws. If you had a take that was totally wrong, it's so easy to just never mention it again and just pretend it never happened. You wouldn't lose any face. You wouldn't lose any, you know, no one would know, right? There are takes that Colin could just never mention again that he was totally wrong on. And sure, maybe some of his hardcore listeners would know, hey, you were wrong about that. But a lot of the, ca- the casual listener wouldn't have any idea. So the, the idea of admitting you're wrong as a sports personality media member is was kind of mind-blowing to me because it's just so easy and the incentive would be to not to do that. But Colin is, what I love about his show is he's so authentic and he's so real and he's willing to just be honest with you and tell you, hey, I've totally missed on this. I was wrong. But he's also right about a lot of stuff as well. And so it ends up balancing out in the end because, you know, you're always right about a lot of stuff and wrong about a lot of stuff. And that's just the reality of anybody in the sports world trying to make predictions is is. It's harder than the stock market. You have you're you're gonna have better luck putting your money in the stock market than you are putting your money sports betting. Okay, I'm just telling you, it is hard. Sports are random. People are random in sports. Injuries make it just random, especially in the NFL. It's crazy hard to predict. So, kudos to Colin Cowherd for being able to have the self confidence and the you know just. Yeah, confidence to just say, I don't care. I don't necessarily care if you stop listening to me because I missed on this take. I don't care. He's being authentic. And so in honor of that, in honor of him and how much I love him for that, I will be doing the exact same thing. I will be telling you where I missed and where I hit. And just some of the major, some of these are going to be more player specific because I do do a lot of fantasy sports. And so in fantasy sports, you're naturally kind of making predictions on players when you draft them or trade for them because you're kind of putting your money where your mouth is at that point by acquiring a player or drafting them before everyone else did. You're basically saying, I like that player more than everyone else or think that they're, you know, I'm higher on them than everyone else because I chose to draft them there and, and no one else did. 
So I'll mention some players, I'll mention some teams, and some scenarios in which I was wrong and right. So let's just, actually before I jump into it, just want to mention, don't forget to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode, and please leave a review for me on whatever podcasting, you know, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening, please go ahead and leave me a review, that would be awesome. So let's get right into it, people. I know you're waiting, I know you're like, Tim, I know you're wrong, but hey, look, I nailed some stuff, and I'm going to start off with something I nailed, and I am so pumped that I nailed this. Just mm, vindication. I feel so much vindication that I freaking nailed this. So initially, when the Brady and Belichick divorce happened, I was on Brady's side all the way. You can ask my closest friends. They asked me, are you a Patriots fan now? Are you a Tom Brady fan, a Bucks fan? And I said, I'm a Bucks fan. I said, I'm. if, I, if you're making me choose... I'm hitching my train to the Tom Brady train. And that was me day one. Okay. Now, I, don't get me wrong. I still love Bill Belichick. He's still one of my favorite coaches of all time. I love his coaching philosophy. I love how it's team first. I love how it's do your job. I love there's no that there's no excuses. I love that he's hard on everybody. He doesn't play favorites. I love his coaching style. I'm sincerely rooting for him to succeed. However, I started to sour on Belichick the last few years of the dynasty because I started to notice some things that I didn't like. The number one thing I noticed from Bill was he actually wanted to get rid of Brady a few years ago and wanted to have Jimmy Garoppolo be the starter. And he actually petitioned to Robert Kraft to have that happen. And Robert actually, who, you know, Robert typically never says no to Belichick. Belichick is pretty much given a free reign. Kraft actually said no to him. And said, no, we're keeping the greatest quarterback of all time because we still can win. And thank thank God that Robert Kraft did that because what happened after? They went to a Super Bowl, which they almost won. They, there's that shootout against the Eagles that they, they lost. But still, they were a, a play away from winning a Super Bowl. The next year, they go to the Super Bowl again and then win it. So if Bill Belichick had had his way, Tom Brady and the Patriots would have one less Super Bowl ring and one less Super Bowl appearance. And we all know how the Jimmy Garoppolo experiment has turned out. Not so good. So that had me kind of sour on Belichick. Even during those last couple of years, I started to gravitate a little more towards the Brady side. And then if you look at Bill's record without Brady, it's it's pretty bad. Now, I'm still saying I think he'll be fine in the long run, and I want, I'm want i really curious to see how he does without Brady from now on, but his record without Brady is not is not great at this point. He's still, granted, he spent most of his career with Brady, so you can't really knock him too hard for that. The other thing I noticed with Bill is that his draft picks over the last four years have been really bad. He has whiffed on a lot of especially offensive players. They haven't had a Pro Bowl player in four years that they've drafted. Now, granted, part of that is, I mean, they're drafting later in rounds, right, because they're always good, so they're not, they're not getting top 10 picks. So it's a little bit harder to draft towards the end of the first round because players just aren't as good. It's easier to whiff. So I will give cut him some slack there, but he's supposed to be this coaching genius, right? So how is he still not making late first rounders, you know, at least one Pro Bowl player in the last four years, right? So not only did I sour on him with how he treated Brady towards the end and how he had the infatuation for Jimmy, and I don't I, I don't necessarily like – I think they could have gotten a much bigger haul for Jimmy, but he chose to put him, send him somewhere that he wanted him to go, which is the nice thing to do, but 
for the franchise, you probably should have tried to get a little bit more for Jimmy. They only got a second-round pick for him. And Jimmy was a hot, hot, hot commodity at that time. They could have got much more. So just some of those decisions, the lack of being able to draft. You know, I could, I totally understood why Brady left. I was like, I would leave too. You have nothing. They literally had the worst receiving core in the NFL. They did a, they did a, a study on the receivers on how long it took them to get open. Brady was dealing with the most bottom team in the NFL with receivers on t- average time to get open. He had the worst receivers at getting open in the NFL. That is fact based on that stat. So it was an easy choice for me to hitch my wagon on Brady. And did I know it would pan out this well? I did not. But bam, 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 I was right and I was right on to hitch my wagon to Tom Brady instead of Bill Belichick. Now, I still wish Bill and Robert Kraft all the best. Still love them, still rooting for them. But Brady, to me, far and above and has kind of proven he's the man. And it's maybe a lot more Brady than it is Belichick when you look back at that Pat's dynasty. So, boom, baby, nailed it. All right, I was wrong. I was wrong about Stephon Diggs, and I was wrong about Josh Allen. I did not think Josh Allen was going to be good coming out of the draft. Even after the first two years, I thought, eh, he'll be an average, you know, solid quarterback. I didn't like how risky he was with his body, I thought. And I still honestly think this is a true prediction. We'll see if this comes through in the end. But I, I kind of think he'll have a Cam Newton-type career based on just how how many, how many much violence he goes through as a runner. Uh, we you know Cam hasn't aged well, and he was always a very violent runner. I, I still think Josh Allen was not going to age well as a quarterback. But I was wrong. I actually even made a, a prediction with my friend Steven. I said, Steven... Let's go head-to-head, Stephon Diggs versus DeAndre Hopkins. Whoever has the most fantasy points at the end of the year, you you win. And I, I bet on DeAndre Hopkins. He bet on Stephon Diggs. He obviously won that. You know, And I, Hopkins still did pretty dang good in my defense, but Diggs was better. I was not expecting this explosion from Josh Allen and Diggs. I I saw a little bit of potential in Allen the last year. I said, okay, you know, he's, he looks like he's going to be pretty good, but I... Did not think he would ascend to one of the top three quarterbacks, five quarterbacks in the NFL. So I was totally wrong. And honestly, I thought Stephon Diggs was an overrated diva receiver. I saw him in Minnesota for many years, and he produced pretty strongly. But I thought, ah, he's kind of a diva and created a lot of issues on the sideline and kind of always underproduced. So I, you know, I didn't think much of him. I thought, ah, they're getting a diva receiver. It'll be an upgrade, but not by much. Well, I was wrong. Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen. Absolutely destroyed. If you drafted them in fantasy, if you didn't win the championship, I'm shocked. And actually, you know what's funny is I won I won my fantasy title and I actually beat the guy who had Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. So let's go, baby. Champion this year. Love it. All right, we're going to go to where I was right. And this is a smaller one. But I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a Broncos fan. Troy, for listening. Sorry. I was right about Jerry Judy. We had a discussion about Jerry Judy, and he was pretty high on Jerry Judy because a, tra- a trade had gone through with Jerry Judy, and I didn't like the trade. I thought it was pretty lopsided. And I thought the people that were in the trade were just way too high on Jerry Judy. I thought, this guy has a great potential as a future star. Don't get me wrong. This guy's I would want him on my team as far as the future. But I'm thinking this year, he's not going to do much. He's with a quarterback who is still very young and inconsistent and injury-prone. You know, There was people in front of him at the time. You know Tim Patrick and other guys that were still ahead of him on the depth chart, 
And although he had a game or two that was nice, I would say for the most part I was right on this one because he really did you know did not produce well other than outside of a game or two. And that's not all on him. I think there was some quarterback issues there as well. So, but I would say I would give myself the right on that one. Jerry Judy I think has a super bright future though. And so if you're a Broncos fan, hey, this guy's got a bright future. Back to where I was wrong. I was wrong about the Giants and about Daniel Jones. I saw a lot of potential in Daniel Jones last year. I really liked what I saw. Tall quarterback who can run, who's mobile, strong arm. You know, I like the weapons that they had there in New York. I mean, Evan Ingram. I really like Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard. Really great weapons, really outstanding offense. You know, obviously you had Saquon Barkley going into the season. And maybe I should have bailed on Daniel Jones and the Giants once Saquon went down. But I just, I chose to, no, 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 they're going to be fine. And Daniel Jones is going to be fine. And, and they're going to be solid. And obviously, I, I mean, the fact that they're even in the race for the NFC East at all is a complete joke. But I was wrong. Daniel Jones did not look good. He was very inconsistent all year long. He sort of had a little bit of a stronger stretch towards the end. So I'm still hopeful that he's got a decently bright future ahead of him. But he looks to be a quarterback who had that sophomore slump. Maybe needs a little more help around him, a little more time. I'm not totally giving up on Daniel Jones, but as far as my feeling for them and the Giants this year, I was wrong. All right. I was right about Mr. Kyler Murray. I drafted him very high in my league this year because I just thought, oh, my gosh, this guy is an absolute stud. They just traded for DeAndre Hopkins. He's got Larry Fitzgerald who can be a mentor to him. Christian Kirk is is a, a solid number two, and he had a lot of big games. You know, the offense with Chase Edmonds, who I really liked, and Kenyon Drake. I mean, I thought the offense was solid. I thought he would run a lot, and from a fantasy perspective, I thought he would be an absolute gem because of the way he runs the ball. He's lightning, lightning quick, incredible. And he ended up having an outstanding fantasy season, ended up, leading me you know, partially to the title, even though he struggled those last couple games. He, his shoulder was banged up. His, his knee was banged up. The offensive line was not protecting as well. He was getting hit a lot more often the last couple games of the year, but he still carried me throughout the season. So I nailed my Kyler Murray pick. Let's go. All right, so I was wrong about Cooper Cup and kind of the Rams' offense as a whole. I really thought Goff was going to have a great year. I really thought he would bounce back from his previous year kind of being a little subpar. I thought, hey, he's got the contract now. He's got two great receivers, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. I thought Cooper Cup, usually I never draft guys in fantasy the direct year coming off an ACL tear, but it's always the next year that I, that's when they kind of are back to their true form. And so Cooper Cup was in that situation where he was not the first year removed, but the second year removed from that ACL tear. I thought, man, him and Cooper Cup, their best buds, They room together. Cooper Cup's about to go off. Now, in my defense, he wasn't terrible this year, but still pretty much underwhelmed. Robert Woods was kind of the better receiver all year long. And Cooper, you know, aside from a couple games, and, you know, he's definitely more useful in PPR, but overall pretty disappointed in Cooper Cup. I was pretty wrong about Goff. That Rams offense, which was pretty pedestrian all year, their defense pretty much kind of carried the ship. And now Mr. Goff is no longer with the Rams. It was that bad. So I was wrong about that. I was right about the Chiefs. And I think a lot of people were. 
so I'm not going to hang my hat too much on this one. I mean, it's pretty obvious Mahomes is amazing, next-generational talent, paired with a coach like Andy Reid. In the same way you had the Brady and Belichick pairing, which just made him unstoppable, you're basically seeing the same thing here. Seeing Andy Reid, genius coach, with a star quarterback just who can run, who can throw, who can make all the throws, who's good under pressure, good when trailing. Incredible, right? So I think we all knew the Chiefs were going to be back in the Super Bowl. I really had little doubt at all at any point during the year, even though at times they looked kind of lethargic and they looked like they weren't really trying and they were kind of making these comebacks against you know teams that weren't great. But you kind of knew that they were going to turn it on when they need to, and they did. And now they're in the Super Bowl, and I would not be surprised if they won. I really wouldn't. I'm obviously hoping for Tom Brady to get his seventh Super Bowl 100%. I will be cheering my absolute heart out. But I would not be surprised if the Chiefs won. They are just unstoppable. All right, we're going back to another one I was right on, and that was... And this is, this is something I'll do a separate podcast on because I really want to dig into this one. Running backs. Specifically, don't pay your running back. And I, I, if you're a running back out there and you're listening to this, you're probably thinking, Tim, shut your mouth. You're going to lose me a lot of money. But look, if you look at this, the NFL, and I was looking back at previous winners, and, and you could still be a good team, but you notice all the teams that got eliminated were teams that are paying their quarterback and they're running back big money. But if you look at the teams that have won the Super Bowls the last few years, and I'm going to dig into this even further, I'm going to go back probably in the next, I'm going to go down 10 to 20 years and kind of look at how many teams win the Super Bowl when they're paying a star quarterback and paying a stud running back. How many actually win the Super Bowl? It's very rare. And that's, and I think I was right on this, and it's something I've been on for this last year, is Don't pay your running backs unless your quarterback is on a rookie deal and will be for a couple years. Do not pay your running back. We saw the Rams pay Todd Gurley absolute bust. Granted, they did make the Super Bowl, so this isn't this isn't completely. You can still have a really strong team. I think Goff at that. I will. You know what? I'm going to retract that because I'm pretty sure Goff was on his rookie contract that year. So I would still be right on that one. You cannot pay both. You can pay one. You can have your running back paid high. If your quarterback's on a rookie contract, you can have cheap running backs. If your quarterback is on a standard quarterback contract, you cannot have both. You will not win championships. You will not. I I firmly believe that. And I think I was, I'm right again, because look who's in the Super Bowl, the chiefs. I'm sorry. Who are their running backs? Oh yeah. A rookie. Oh, yeah, some other guy, I forgot his name. Oh, yeah, Le'Veon Bell, who they signed for a couple million. Those are their running backs. Let's look at the Buccaneers. Ronald Jones, still in a rookie deal. Leonard Fournette, cheap contract. Right? LaShawn McCoy, picked him up for a million. You don't win in the NFL paying your quarterback and paying your running back. There's just not enough money to go around to actually build a real team. That's why you see the Titans I don't think they'll ever make it to the Super Bowl with having paid Ryan Tannehill and having paid their running back. It's not going to happen. Okay, we see that, and we saw that. Now, again, some teams have made the Super Bowl. Obviously, a couple years ago, Matt Ryan, who was paid very highly, made the Super Bowl, and Devontae Freeman, who was also very highly paid. They did lose to the Patriots, of course. 
the team with no running backs, the team that literally has James White and LeGarrette Blount and Sony Michelle and random no-name running backs that they have won championships and made Super Bowls with. So that was the closest one I've seen recently where a quarterback and running back both were paid, but they lost. They lost. So I was right again. Don't pay your running back and your quarterback. You, you got to make a choice. You can always draft a running back. You know, running backs come in in their prime. Running back is the one position that the moment you draft them, they're in their prime. And you have them for five years, and then they're done. So just draft running backs every year. Draft a couple. James Robinson, that dude from the Jaguars, was undrafted. Ended up being their number one lead runner all, all year. Ran for 1,000 yards. You can find running backs. Don't pay them. Pay your quarterback. That's it. End of story. All right, we're going to go to a wrong on this one. I was wrong about Phillip Rivers. I thought he was a shot fighter. I thought he was done. I thought the move the Colts made was a bad move. I thought he was an overpay. I thought Phillip Rivers ain't going to do nothing. But Phillip Rivers actually did quite well and led them to the playoffs. Granted, they lost in the playoffs, and his limitations were pretty obvious in the playoffs, but I was wrong. I thought it was a big mistake, and they made it work, and he had a really fine season, and their offense was really nice, and granted, their defense was amazing, so that's probably a lot of their successes due to that. But I was wrong. I thought Phillip Rivers didn't have everything in the tank, and, and he did. Now, I was right about a different shot fighter quarterback. I was right about Cam Newton. I remember having multiple conversations with people who were trying to tell me that the Pats move of getting Cam Newton was a winning move, that Cam Newton was going to take the starting job from Jarrett Stidham and was going to lead the Patriots to the playoffs and how he was a new player and he was humbled by you know, no teams wanting him and he would be so motivated and you know, Bill is a genius, so you know, Bill will lean on his strengths and, and he'll improve. Yeah, Cam Newton's a shot fighter. I saw it when he was in with the Panthers. He was missing wide-open receivers five feet over their head. This dude has never been a serious football player. This guy has always leaned on his talent, has not really worked hard. I, I watched the hard knocks on the Panthers, and I was disgusted by the junk that they would eat. I was disgusted by the just the lack of, of work ethic of Cam Newton. I think it's been apparent for a long time. He's a very cocky dude. He likes to spend a lot more time to, you know, planning his wardrobe than probably watching film. And obviously, like I mentioned before, he has played so violently for so many years. You can only do that for so long before it takes its toll. So I was totally right on. I thought this move was going to do nothing. I didn't even think Cam would start the whole year. That was actually a shock to me that he even started the whole year. At all, I thought Stidham would would earn that job back, but obviously I was right because Cam is he's done. And on that note, I guess I was right about the Patriots. I predicted early on the Patriots were going to be really, really bad. In fact, I think I was almost wrong in a way because I really thought they would have like two wins. I really two to three wins. They lost, I think six or seven defensive players who opted out because of COVID. They hadn't drafted anybody. They didn't have any receivers, running backs. Obviously, you lose Tom Brady. Their you know main defender was gone, opted out due to COVID. I mean, how do you? No offense to Bill, but they should have won two games. They should have won two to three games. The fact that they even won five was a shocker to me. But I guess I was still right because again, I've just predicted overall they would do really, really bad. And I think 
for the most part, other than a couple games, they did just that. Really, really bad. Now, I was wrong about the Browns. I thought the Browns would not do well this year. I thought that they would continue to live in mediocrity, which they have lived in for many years. I did not think that their quarterback would, you know, Baker would improve. I thought he would say the same. He improved a lot. You know, Kevin Stefanski really upgraded that offense a lot and the way that they, they really finally, and here's the Browns are so dumb because when they initially got Baker Mayfield, they were all high on their horse and doing Browns things, and they decided to trade one of their offensive linemen for Odell Beckham. Okay, I'm sorry, you're going to trade away an offensive lineman when you have a quarterback who's not mobile and short and panics under pressure. You're going to trade him for a diva receiver who is just going who's just a basket case and who has been a cancer on every team that he's been on. What are you thinking? What did, how did you think that would turn out, Browns? So idiotic. Anyway, I you know, I was still wrong because I did not think they would do well, but props to Kevin Stefanski and that squad. They really shored things up. They really built around Baker's strengths. They gave him a strong run game. They gave him a strong offensive line. They made the offense very simple for him, and he performed well. He performed a, like a B-minus quarterback, maybe B-plus quarterback, a quarterback you can win with. So I was totally wrong in the Browns. I did not see this type of explosion coming from them. I did not think they would be in the playoffs. So I was wrong on the Browns. However, that leads right into where I was right, and I was right on Odell Beckham Jr. I have been off the Odell train since the Giants. There was a stat while he was on the Giants where every game that he had over 100 yards, they had a losing record. Okay, there is It is rare to see a talented player who's – has a lot of stats to the team actually does worse when he does better. And there were multiple stats proving that when the better Odell did the worse, the giants team did. And add on top of that, the drama, all the stuff that would go on. I saw a video one time that looked like he was, I don't want to accuse him, but I'm just saying what it looked like. It looked like he was with maybe a hooker and doing cocaine at one point. I, again, that's just, speculation on my part that's what it looked like was happening in the video but I'm not sure this guy I mean come on the Browns were just dumb to trade for him I wouldn't he would have no no he would not be on any of my teams by a mile he has no value to me whatsoever as a player he has only a disruptor would not be worth a single dime to be on my team unless something changed with him so I was right about Odell Beckham I was wrong about the Philadelphia Eagles. Very, very wrong. Early on in the season, they had a really, really rough schedule to start. And I thought, you know what? They have good pieces on offense. They have a proven you know, quarterback in Carson Wentz, who if they can just get that offensive line short up, he'll be fine. I predicted a big second-half resurgence for the Eagles. I said, buy that Eagles stock. I said, they're going to win the NFC East. Wow. I was... uh. Dead wrong. Dead wrong on that one. They ended up continuing to suck all year long. Their offensive line was a problem all year long. Caution Wentz was running for his life all year long. And then they went to Jalen Hurts and actually had a couple decent games toward the end of the year where their offensive finally showed some life. 
And their defense is actually really good all year long. They were they were a, a team that was ranked very highly as far as getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks, and their secondary was was average, but but okay, you know, quality. Wow, I did not expect the amount of a mutiny that took place within that team where Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz's relationship was over, and then Doug Peterson got fired, and even Jalen Hurts was pissed, and they lost that last game on purpose against the Redskins. So, yikes, I did not see that one coming. That was a hard fall from grace for me. I was wrong. Now, I was right, and you could, this is a, maybe I shouldn't really give myself the win on this one. I was right about Aaron Rodgers. I have kind of been off Aaron Rodgers for the last five, six years. And what I noticed from Rodgers is although he is incredibly, incredibly talented, he has all the talent in the world, he has amazing plays. I mean, he's going to be the MVP of the league this year. So this guy is still an amazing future Hall of Fame quarterback. But what I noticed over the last six years and listening to a lot of, um, I believe it was Greg Cosell who comes on to call and show a lot, he breaks down the film really, really intently and has a, some amazing takes. And he was talking about how Rodgers time and time again would go off script and would never really play within the structure of the play. And you always saw that there were plays to be made within the structure of the play, but he would opt to run around, put himself in danger. He got hurt a couple times because of this. Chuck it deep. You know, he's Aaron Rodgers, so of course he'd make a couple of those plays happen and they'd get touchdowns and everyone would think that everything was hunky-dory and he's the best. But if you really look deeper, you'd think, man, there was a play there he could have had. He put himself in a lot of danger. He's been kind of injury-prone a little bit because he's putting himself in a lot of dangerous situations. He's definitely not a guy who can handle big hits. We've seen that. So I've just kind of been off him for a number of years because I just didn't think that he, you know, there was sort of an arrogance to him that he just wasn't really willing to play within structure and he wasn't really willing to protect himself for the good of the team. And although he had an amazing year, he once again, and this has kind of been a theme, that he kind of, tanks in the playoffs like he doesn't necessarily play awful by any means but and a lot of times a former Packer fan I've seen that defense collapse a number of times where they just can't stop the run so it's not all on Aaron but he's the quarterback he's going to take a lot of the blame and this and their success and so he just has not been able to get it done in the playoffs for a while now and you'd think a guy like Aaron Rodgers especially with the pieces they had this year I thought for sure they were going to take out the Bucks. the pieces that they had Devontae Adams having, I mean, a Jerry Rice-type season. Their running back core led by Aaron Jones. Jamal, Jamal, I mean, wowzers. I really like their their number two receiver there. I'm blanking on his name at the moment. And uh, I really like Matt LaFleur and how he has established the run, how he's been able to kind of stop Aaron from maybe himself in a lot of ways and has kind of, you know, there was a lot of friction early on because LaFleur was like, we're doing things my way. This isn't your team anymore. I'm not a pushover like McCarthy. And there was some friction, but I thought that was good friction for Rodgers, and it showed because he played so much better when he had kind of someone to kind of say no to him because I think Rodgers is incredibly smart and intelligent, and sometimes that's kind of your blessing and your curse because you kind of need somebody to be like, yo, you're not that smart. <laughs> you're smart, bro, but you ain't that smart. I'm in charge. So I thought LaFleur was perfect for Aaron. But again, Aaron kind of just didn't get it done. Although, you know, it wasn't his call not to go for that fourth down. I think I would have gone for that fourth down. I think it was totally obvious you go for that fourth down. I didn't understand the logic at all, really, with going for the kick. I guess, in a way, you're sort of, if you thought you are going to get the ball back, then that field goal was essentially like your two-point conversion. 
So I could see a, a world in which you're you're kind of I think maybe it, it's a little bit of an overthought to go okay well if we kick the field goal here that's like us getting the two point conversion now and if we get the ball back and score a touchdown then you know we get we win and I I get that but I'm thinking. Ah, just the momentum. They were so close to the end zone. You don't. There's no guarantee you're gonna get the even get the ball back. Even if you do, you gotta drive the length of the field. You're right there. Why not just go for the touchdown then? And then if you don't get it, then you still have a chance to get the ball back and still have a chance to score. And then you just gotta get the two point conversion. And then you still still tie game. So maybe a bit of an overthought. Again, wasn't Aaron's call, so I'm not gonna. You know, obviously it could be a whole different story if maybe he throws a touchdown. Maybe we're talking about the Packers in the Super Bowl, and I'm saying that I was wrong on Aaron Rodgers, that he's he's the best. So that one really could have gone either way. I was wrong on Sam Darnold. Now, I will say this. Sam Darnold is only 24. So there's still time for Sammy to improve and actually you know, play with a competent coach. I think we all knew. I didn't have to say I'm right on that one. I think we all knew Adam Gase was way over his skis. We've seen all the players that do better away from him I'm shocked they even hung on to him all year but I guess maybe that was a common courtesy so the the jury is not out on Sam Darnold I still would like to see him with a different coaching staff with some weapons with an offensive line you know he may not be the greatest he may be one of those quarterbacks that just needs a little bit of extra help like Baker Mayfield needs a run game needs a line needs something else than what he's given with the Jets because the Jets were devoid of pretty much any talent at any position and how do you do well? Unless you're Mahomes or Rodgers or Watson or Brady, even if you're Brady, you're probably going to get, if, God, if Brady played for the Jets, he would get absolutely shredded. He'd never have time to throw. So jury's not out on Sam Darnold, but I'd say from my initial my initial thought of him being you know, a great draft pick when he was drafted, I'd say at this point I'm wrong on that. He has not proven that he was worth the draft capital that, that was invested in him. So I will take the L on that one for now. I was right on Mike McCarthy. I thought the Mike McCarthy hire was a bad hire. I thought it was Jerry Jones basically hiring a yes man. I wish Jerry could understand. Could maybe he? Uh, I don't want to ever say you know, maybe he doesn't understand. But from my perspective, when Jerry works with somebody who pushes back on him, that is good for Jerry. Because Jerry has a lot of power and a lot of control, and that can go to your head sometimes. And if you don't have anyone to push back on you, it's easy to get lost in that. Jerry, I've criticized him for years at being just too involved in the actual player acquisition. He's got enough going on, I'm sure, with his business ventures. I don't know how much time he can really dedicate to player personnel. I would leave that to the expert, to the person that's spending 8 hours a day, 10 hours a day, on that and let them make those decisions. That's what I would do if I was an owner. I'd be a lot more hands-off. And I think we see the hands-off owners typically faring a lot better when they let the people who were born and have worked to do that job, let them do that job. Jerry has, over the years, shown that he does not want to do that. So I think the Mike McCarthy hire was a bad hire. I thought it was just a yes man. I thought he needed somebody who would push back, like Jimmy Johnson, who they never got along, but they won three Super Bowls. Because Jimmy was really good, and Jimmy pushed back on Jerry and would say no and would say, I'm not going to let you just push me around. And Jerry didn't like it, but Jerry won three Super Bowls. So, Jerry, you hate it, but hire someone that's going to push back on you. Hire someone that's just as you know smarter than you. Let them make the decisions. Take a step back. 
let the ego go a little bit. But I was right. Uh, Mike McCarthy hire looks pretty bad at this point. All right, I was wrong on Le'Veon Bell. I thought Le'Veon Bell still had something in the tank. Even after the Jets, I thought, no, he still has something left in the tank. I swear, it was just the Jets. It's just the Jets and Adam Gase. If he just got on a different team, he would be so good. He would be a stud. So when he went to, when he signed with the Chiefs, I thought, oh, here we go. Le'Veon Bell is going to absolutely go off. He's going to have access to all sorts of goal line opportunities. He's going to be in this high-flying offense. He'll have all this room to run because you know teams aren't going to stack the box against Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Let's go. This is a wrap. Le'Veon Bell, pick him up right now. Trade for him. Do whatever you got to do to get this man on your team. He's going to just boost you to the fantasy playoffs. Wow. I was wrong. Le'Veon did absolutely nothing. In fact, I just read a report from Roto-World today that he signed with the Chiefs because, specifically, he did not want to have to carry the ball much. Let me repeat that. Le'Veon Bell signed with the Chiefs over the Dolphins and over whatever other team he was thinking about because he did not. He knew he would not carry the ball very much. I'm sorry. You're an NFL running back. Usually you want your NFL players in general to be pretty passionate about football, to want to fight for touches, to want to be in the game. This man signed with the Chiefs because, end quote, he knew he would not have to work very much. I don't know if I can, if there's anything else needs to be said at that, at that point. <laughs> Le'Veon Bell, I was wrong. All right, I was right, and again, this is a, for now right this might not be a future right but for now i was right on tua tagovailoa i agreed with colin colin had some great takes on tua and i did not see anything super special when i watched him i saw a guy who was very conservative i saw a guy who was very small i saw a guy who was not really as mobile as i thought he was going to be this is a guy who had all sorts of injuries going into the draft I've seen a couple games of the Dolphins, and I'm not impressed. And he scares me that he's so small and looks so small and has already struggled with injuries even before the NFL. He did not look great. His teammates apparently actually have voiced their opinion through media saying that they don't see anything special with Tua Tagovailoa. Again, he's very young. He has plenty of time to prove me wrong. But right now... I was right about Tua Tagovailoa. He does not look like a special quarterback. And the Dolphins are actually trying to trade him right now, potentially, for Deshaun Watson. (laughs) So that should tell you a little bit about how they think about him. All right, I have three more, but they're all things I got right. So I don't have any more wrongs for you. I'm sure I have some more wrongs. So if I think of a wrong, another wrong, I I will tell you. I'm sure I have more. I'm sure I do. But I think I had a pretty decent season overall. All right, I was right about Julio Jones. I have been telling people for years, do not draft Julio Jones in your fantasy draft. This guy is an injury machine for the last three years. Yes, he'll have two monster games. He'll score you 50 points. He'll have 10 catches for 200 yards and three TDs. But that'll be for about, I don't know, two games. Then maybe he'll have a couple other games sprinkled in where maybe he gets 10, 15 points. And then after that, it's pretty much, is he going to play? And if he plays... And he gets hurt mid-game. Are you screwed? 
And Julio, once again, did it again this year. He had a couple big games, a couple decent games, and then a lot of games where he did not play at all or played hurt or got hurt during the game. He is someone who is a complete wild card at this point based on his injury history. You just don't know. You might get zero points. You might get 50. Maybe two out, two weeks out of 16, you'll get 50. But the other weeks, it's a crapshoot. He once again had kind of a down year, very in, you know, injured a lot at the end with a hamstring. No surprise. I've been telling people this for – I do not get the Julio love in fantasy circles. This guy's a headache to own, an absolute headache. Don't get it. All right, my two other rights. I was right about Nick Foles. I I think, and I've said this multiple times, Nick Foles has never played well outside of a Philadelphia Eagles uniform. He had one amazing year, two amazing years, sorry, one amazing year with the Eagles as a starter where he threw 26 touchdowns with three picks. Had a great year. He had the other year where he took over for Carson Wentz, led them to the Super Bowl. Every other team he's played for, he has been absolute cannon fodder. Trash. Jaguars, Bears, I'm, I think he had a stint somewhere else as well, as well. It was pretty obvious to me, do not overpay for Nick Foles. This guy has never played well outside of Philadelphia. He just has not. I don't know what it is about Philly. Maybe something in the water. Maybe he really likes the weather there, the vibe there. Who knows? But the Jaguars tried it. The Bears tried it. It was pretty obvious. It was never going to work. He just... Outside of the Eagles, he's not good. And I think that was that's that's been obvious to me for a couple years now. And I thought that anyone who overpaid for him, it was a mistake. And that's exactly what it was. A mistake. All right, my last right of this podcast is going to be Mr. Lamar Jackson. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Lamar. I really do. I think he's got a bright future. But I did not think he would do well in the playoffs. Because he's never done well in the playoffs. Because running the football as a quarterback does not really work in the playoffs. You got to have something else. You got to have a little bit of a passing game. He's actually regressed as a passing quarterback. Let me say that again. He's regressed as a passing quarterback. He was already bad to begin with. (laughs) He wasn't any good. You'd think, okay, he'll get a little bit better. No, it's worse. They had the worst passing offense in the NFL. Now, he has Marquise Brown, who I think is a, a pretty decent receiver. He has his tight end, who I'm blanking on, who's a studly tight end. Now, you could argue that maybe his other weapons are subpar, and maybe they could do better in that department. But, man, I think the unless he makes some serious strides in his passing game, this is going to be the story. Because in the playoffs, you can just take away the pass they're one-dimensional, and yeah, they're amazing at running the ball. They led the league in NFL. I think they had the record for the most rushing yards per game, but they lost. They did win one playoff game. I'll give them that. So it's it's an improvement, but I, I just don't know if I see a future in which Lamar Jackson is winning Super Bowls based on his current skill set unless their team was absolutely stacked. Maybe the you know when the Ravens won the Super Bowl before with Ray Lewis when they had the number one defense and they won with Trent Dilfer. I mean that proves that you can win with anybody. So if the if the Ravens ever got that good a defense again, I'm sure you could win with Lamar Jackson. But obviously that's pretty rare to find nowadays. Finding a defense that's that building a defense is that studly. So it's going to take a lot for Lamar to win a Super Bowl. He's got to really improve and work on the passing game and just be at least adequate, at least be middle of the pack. 
and not dead last. And maybe you get him a receiver or two in the draft this year to help him out, give him someone big he can just throw it up to. I don't know, but I think I was right on that. So as you can see, I had a lot of things I was right on, a lot of things that I my instincts were correct, and I had some things that I completely whiffed on, and that is just the nature of sports. And that's it. That's my 2020 to 2021 NFL season. Now, if I was to give one more prediction, I will predict that the Chiefs will win the Super Bowl. I'm mainly doing that because I actually predicted the Bucks would lose to both the Saints and the Packers, and they won. So I'm trying to keep the tradition going here by predicting a Chiefs victory. Mahomes is just so incredibly talented that unless the Bucks just get insane amounts of pressure and maybe even rattle him or even injure him, not saying intentionally, but if you can hit him enough times or he's he's injured, I know he's had some issues with the toe, that's basically your only chance because he is just so incredible and the weapons they have with Hill and Kelsey are unguardable, absolutely unguardable. They absolutely shredded the Buccaneers last time they played them. So I don't know if the Buccaneers have anyone that can guard Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey. They're going to have to probably, you know, bracket them, which is going to and just try to take one of them away, and the other one's going to get open. But and you just pray, you just pray that that line of the Bucks can get get pressure on consistently on Mahomes enough to just you know get in his head or make him uncomfortable or bang him up a little bit because if you don't get pressure on him if he's uncomfortable it's they're he's actually going absolutely going to shred the buccaneers I'm sorry it's that pass rush is the only hope of the buccaneers I love Tom Brady Tom Brady can score he can drop 24 to 30 points on them but if the chiefs score 40 points that's that's all she wrote so just if you can hold him to 30 points Brady's has enough in the tank, has enough weapons to get 30 points. But you're going to have to hold the Chiefs to 30. So I'm still predicting a Chiefs victory, although I am rooting my absolute heart out for Tom Brady. I hope I am dead wrong. I hope I'm absolutely dead wrong on this. But anyway, guys, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope that you found value. Please, uh, yeah, please enjoy your day. Please enjoy the Super Bowl. This will be coming out on the Friday before the Super Bowl, so hopefully you get a chance to listen to this before the Super Bowl and kind of get a recap of that NFL season. And, man, if you are looking to play some fantasy football next year, let me know because I can get you one of my leagues or I can start another league, have you win it. I definitely love playing fantasy fantasy sports in general. I play fantasy basketball as well. And, yeah, I just love fantasy sports. I love – man, I would love to be a GM. I feel like I can make a better decision than some of these GMs. I mean, I, I would know better not to trade for Odell Beckham. I mean, God. You know, and I've I've had quite a bit of success in fantasy leagues. I've won probably twenty to thirty leagues over my lifetime. Very competitive leagues too. Yeah, I just love it. So that's all I gotta say. Go Bucks, baby. Go Brady. Let's go. Let's freaking go. Tom Brady. Let's get seven. Let's get seven, baby. Oh, I'll be so happy. I'm doing a podcast Monday morning if the Bucks pull it out. You'll get a podcast from me bright and early Monday morning of me just absolutely being fired up. Let's go, Bucks. See you guys in the next pod.